Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Welcome to today's episode of Food Junkies Podcast. We are joined by Maria Emmerich. Maria is a wellness expert in nutrition and exercise physiology. She is the author of several cookbooks and three nutritional guidebooks, including the bestseller, Keto, The Complete Guide to Success on the Ketogenic Diet. Maria's blog, mariamindbodyhealth.com, offers innovative recipes and easy-to-understand explanations of how our bodies work and the science of ketogenic lifestyles. She also runs a support site for getting all your questions answered, keto-adapted.com. Maria's success stems from her passion for helping others reach and sustain optimal health through programs and education that work on a personal level. She understands the connection between food and how it makes us feel inside and out. After struggling with her weight throughout her childhood, she decided to study health and wellness so she could help others who are discouraged by their appearance and do not feel their best. Maria acknowledges addiction is serious and not her specialty. She has worked with clients who identify as having food addiction, but these clients often have outside extra support, such as OA. All right, guys, welcome, Maria. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here with us today on this episode of Food Junkies. We are interviewing Maria Emmerich. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, but I would never get mad if you didn't. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. We are speaking with Maria today, and I'm personally super excited for this interview um, because I've heard Maria's uh, speak many, many, many times. And the thing I think that I identify the most with is her story, her journey. And, you know, so I'm just going to hop right in, Maria. Like we've heard that story when you were 16 and diagnosed with PCOS. And I just personally identify with that because I have that same diagnosis. You know, can you share that story with our listeners? And and, and what made you realize that food was a part of that? And, and has that influenced your career, your education, where you are today? Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, sit down. Cause I got a story for you. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't at 16 years old. I wasn't feeling well. I was twice my size. Everybody's like, did you ever have a weight problem? I was like, yeah, I was over twice my size. Um, I was told that I had PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is basically a type two diabetes that affects female fertility. Um, I also was given an acid blocker because, because I had acid reflux really bad. I think it's funny that people don't want to address that dairy and gluten cause that, but whatever. Um, I also had IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, and I had depression pretty bad. And so I was given three different drugs at the age of 16. And what was, what kind of upsets me is that the doctor said it was the cards I was dealt, that it was nothing I was doing wrong. But let me tell you, I worked at a coffee shop where I got to drink free mochas all day long. And I did. And I would go there before school to make the scones and the cinnamon rolls and muffins. And then after school, I went back to work there and whatever didn't sell that day went home with me. And so I made sure to make extra cinnamon rolls that morning because I loved them. I was definitely like, that's what I ate. I was a sugar fiend. I was a carb fiend. I am not I'm not uh, what do they say? A moderator. <laughs> you know, I eat way too many when they're there. I would eat the whole box and I did. I went home with boxes of them. 
Um, but as fate had it, that very same week, I had to take my beautiful golden retriever to the vet because she was losing patches of her hair. And the first question the vet asked me was, what are you feeding her? And I was like, huh, doctor never asked me that. And I went home and I started feeding my dog the raw, it's called the barf diet, which I think is a terrible name, but um, it's like a raw beef diet and her hair grew back with a vengeance. And I was like, wow, there's really something to this. And I changed my diet. And with my background of PCOS, weight loss was very difficult, but the depression went away almost, I mean, that same week, I became a totally different person. And when people in high school see me now, or like I'll see them at a reunion or whatever, or on Facebook, they see, they're like, who are you? (laughs) Because, you know, like you don't drink alcohol anymore. You don't smoke anymore. Like, who are you? You're just like a totally different person. Like food changed me, food changed me. And it can change you too. So would you say, obviously you were saying you were unable to moderate. So would you classify yourself as like a sugar sugar addict or a carb addict? And is that what influenced your move into the keto world? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say that like everybody is a sugar addict, but I think if you let it happen, it can happen. Because I've talked to a lot of people like, I don't remember sugar being a big part of my adolescence, but then I got to be an adult and I just you know, the sugar, it just snowballed into this huge issue. I mean, yeah, when you look at the brain chemistry, I think that we all have, if we let it, we can become addicted to sugar. But yeah, I was, I I didn't eat to live. I lived to eat. I did. I, at breakfast, I was like, what am I going to have for lunch? At lunch, I was like, hmm, what are we going to have for dinner? You know, like it was always something on my mind. And to think that I got to free myself from that and start living my life. I feel like I wasted so many years of my life being plagued by food, but yeah, I was definitely an addict. So then you feel when you switch to the keto diet, that, that obsess those obsessive thoughts about food started to be removed. Well, absolutely. Because you know, when we're, we're constantly eating sugar and carbohydrates, What happens with your blood sugar is it's going sky high. And even when it's high, if it starts to come down, which it does, what goes up must come down, even if it's still really high, like you go to a Chinese buffet, right? And you're like stuffed full with rice and sugary sauces and egg rolls, all of that goodness, you're stuffed. But like maybe an hour later, like, oh yeah, I can have some ice cream. It's not because your blood sugar is low. It's because it's coming down. It's not because your stomach's empty. It's because you're messing with your blood sugar. And what freed me from that constant feeling of food or wanting food or thinking about food was stabilizing my blood sugar. And that's why I know like all of you have freed yourself from this because when it's like this, you're like, you, you'll get hungry, but you no longer get hangry where you want to like, you know, just push everybody aside to get to lunch. You know, it's, it's a manageable hunger. You can go another probably hour or two um, without eating if need be. I think it's just so freeing. And that's why I love it when, you know, bulimics or anybody suffering from an eating disorder really heals themselves through this way of eating because they're like, I love the food. It's nourishing. You're fueling your brain too, because when you're eating this sugar and refined carbohydrates, your brain is still screaming for nutrients. 
it's always hungry, but you're not feeding it properly. So it's like, where's the zinc? Like, come on, you didn't eat any protein today. Like, come on, I need some for your hair. And so it's just keeping that, that brain hungry, you know, a lot of nutrient deficiencies will cause some craving. So I, I always touch on that with clients. I go through a huge health appraisal and we find out where the deficiencies are. And a lot of times supplements help heal that much faster, natural ones. Yeah. And I mean, I think that brings up a really great point. So, so at 16, you know, you, you're diagnosed with this, you have to take your, your beloved golden retriever to the vet and, and you're like changing her diet and you see things changing for her. Did you start changing things for yourself right then? And if so, like, what was part of that? Did you, did you, you know, I've heard you say you batch cook and I don't know if you were doing that at 16, but like, what has been kind of that process that has, that that helped that along the way? So habits die hard. And I feel that when you cut things out of your life, it feels it's hard for people, you know? And so instead of saying, I'm not going to have a cinnamon roll, you're going to put your brain cap on and make a keto cinnamon roll. Was it called keto 23 years ago? No, it was not. They called it the Atkins diet. Um, you know, that type of thing where you're cutting the carbohydrates, cutting the sugar. So I just got my thinking cap on because I love to bake and I would create the same scone, but just differently, you know, with different ingredients. So I could still have my ice cream, but without the sugar. So I would make those things. And I mean, I didn't really batch cook until I was older. I can talk to you about that in a little bit, but I would make like a batch of ice cream and have that. So when I needed, I I let myself have a dessert every single day at that point. And maybe that, you know, I didn't lose weight that fast, but I still lost weight, you know, but I didn't feel awful. And that's what kept me on it. Like, you know, go away, Ben and Jerry's, because guess what? I can have real great, I mean, homemade ice cream, nothing tastes as good as that. And it didn't make me feel awful the next day. So I was really cognizant about my, how I personally felt. I hated feeling awful. It made me not, I wasn't my best self. I wasn't as kind to people as I wanted to be. I'm a really nice person, but I was so sad. It was hard to, I was so depressed. It was hard to put other people's feelings first. And that's the type of person I am. And so it was really cool to just blossom into the person I wanted to be. And that's what kept me on the diet. Like I didn't ever want to go back to those cinnamon rolls because these homemade ones that, you know, didn't make me feel awful were really tasty. They're going to be different, but you know what else you have to start? I guess I'm like this in all aspects of my life. I, I never was like, Oh, I can never have bread again. I can never have rice again. You know, I was like, hey, you know what, Maria, you can have chicken wings and you can have steak. All of these things I thought were bad. I got to, I start, I made myself, I'm that type of person. You get to have this. Stop thinking about the negative. Because guess what? When they said, Maria, you can't have children. I didn't go. I mean, it was a, it was a definitely like a big wave to me, but I was like, okay, you're not going to go there. You're going to go here and think, you know what? You are going to adopt kids. You're going to marry a man who wants to adopt kids with you. And you're going to change the world by helping children out that need a home. So if you want to be successful in your life, stop going down that path and go up this path. Because you know what? More people will want to be around you too. 
you know? Yeah, it's so true. It's like we often feel that we're in this world where we are focused on eliminating things, but really we should be looking at all the things we can add back into our lives. However, I do want to speak to elimination of some, what we refer to in the addiction field as psychoactive substances. Um, I've heard you speak before about working with clients and getting them to reduce or eliminate their consumption of caffeine and alcohol. So in order to enhance their life, basically. And so I just wanted to speak to you a bit about that and how you work with clients in getting them to achieve these goals. Well, let's start with alcohol because, I mean, you all agree that alcohol is not good. I mean, like that glass of wine is not good for heart disease. That's just that's just crap people want to read online to give themselves an excuse to have a glass of wine. But we know that alcohol turns into sugar. I mean, it does. When people alcoholics give up alcohol, they turn to sugar. You know, they're the first ones that recognize that, too. But alcohol it's converted into acetate, which is totally toxic to the liver. And so your body has to metabolize that first. So a lot of times alcoholics will have low A1Cs because they're processing alcohol. They're not processing the carbohydrates. I mean, it's not a good thing. You know, your liver is still going through some crap, but I find it interesting that alcohol sales have gone up like 70% during COVID. And we know alcohol is a depressant, right? Like if you don't know that I'm telling you, it doesn't make you feel better. It's a depressant. Okay. You know, drugs can be either, you know, a stimulant or a depressant. It's a depressant. So it's going to make you feel worse. And alcohol is converted into like, when you drink alcohol, it increases estrogen by 300%. And so that like estrogen dominance is that belly fat nobody wants. And even men, that beer belly, it's not a beer belly, it's an estrogen belly. But you know, when you drink alcohol, what do you grab? You usually aren't grabbing, you know, a salad. You're, you know, like fish, you're, you're going to grab the Haagen-Dazs, the Ben and Jerry's, the, and then it's a snowball of making you feel worse. I know I was there. I'm not judging you. I, when I drank, it was an excess. I didn't know how to stop. I didn't drink it because I liked the taste of it. I drank it because I wanted to numb myself, you know, but what was I trying to numb myself from? Right. It's, it's important to, it's important to find those reasons and, help them instead of covering them up, like bring them to the surface and become the person you want to be. The thing about caffeine is, I mean, when I tell people to cut caffeine, they're like, I don't know if I can. I was like, Hey, it took me probably a decade to do it because I drank it like it was going out of style. And it wasn't just coffee. It was mochas and, you know, lattes and all of these things. What people don't realize the milk you're putting in those drinks I mean, especially skim milk, if you're doing skim milk, a cup of skim milk has as much sugar as what, five Starbursts? I'd rather have a Starburst. <laughs> I don't know about you, but like caffeine increases blood sugar on average by 8%. And remember what I told you about the blood sugar going up and coming down? You drink the caffeine and the blood sugar goes up so your hunger goes away. So, cause people are like, no, when I drink coffee, the hunger goes away. Yes, at first, but eventually you have to stop drinking coffee because you want to go to sleep, right? And when it comes down, your hunger is increased. Your cravings for sugar are increased. I get clients all the time saying, Maria, I could never give up my dark chocolate habit or my whatever in the afternoon habit. When they cut the caffeine out, they're like, I never given it another, another thought. And we're living in a world of high anxiety. I mean, 
this is a weird world right now. There's a lot of anxiety and caffeine is going to increase the anxiety. And you know what else? Every client I have, almost everybody, they have sleep issues, whether they want to admit it or not. I used to ask, do you sleep well? And I would get, yes, I sleep well. How long do you sleep? Five hours. Well, no wonder you sleep well because you're only sleeping five hours. So now I say, do you sleep eight hours well? I need more than that. But then I'm like hitting it hard all day. But when we are drinking caffeine, it does mess with our sleep. It is a drug. It is a legume that has anti-nutrients. I find it interesting that a lot of carnivores still allow coffee when it's like one of the biggest mold containing products out there. It's not, it's not good for you. So like, let's just put it there. If you're not ready to give it up, I'm here to help you transition off of it or, you know, do other things first, but it is a very helpful tool when getting the body composition that you want, when getting the mind that you want, when getting the sleep that you want, caffeine. And I'm talking about all caffeine, just not coffee, green tea, um, all of that. Caffeine increases androgens in a female body. And that's what causes PCOS is excess androgens. So giving up uh, sugar and carbs are really important, but it wasn't until I gave up caffeine that I really truly healed my PCOS. And by then my fertility was like shot, you know? So, um, and that's okay. I always made that decision that we were going to adopt children no matter what. So, um, but a lot of women, they want to have their own kids. And if you were really serious about it, give up the caffeine, you know? Yeah. And I think that um, this is just to piggyback off of that. Sorry, this is kind of a one-off question is, you know, you were saying, you know, early on, you would uh, kind of recreate the scones, the cinnamon rolls, the whatever, the ice cream. Do you recreate the, the coffee, so to speak, or the alcohol, so to speak, somehow for yourself or for the clients um, that you work with, if, if you're trying to transition them off of that, those, those things? Uh, when it comes to caffeine, um, are you familiar with an Americano? So, you know, a cup of coffee has what, 200 milligrams of caffeine, a shot of espresso has only 50. Okay. Okay. So an Americano is a shot of espresso with hot water. So honestly, it tastes better than coffee. And this is what I did. Okay. So I went from coffee to an Americano, the shot of espresso with hot water. So I was going from 200 milligrams of caffeine to 50. And then I switched to a decaf Americano. And the reason why I don't like decaf coffee is it's made with a chlorinated filtration process. And chlorine is really bad for our thyroid and our liver. Um, and that's when you look at depression and anxiety, you should look at the health of the liver because most of the time there's liver damage. And you can heal that through different things. But part of it is you don't want to have chlorine in your diet. That's why you don't want to drink tap water, you know, things like that. So then instead of a decaf coffee, do the Americano. And then you can do decaf Americano because the espresso is made with the water filtration process, which doesn't have the chlorine. So then you're getting even less. I mean, even decaf has caffeine. So let's not fool ourselves. So that's going to have a lot less caffeine, but a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't need the caffeine. I want something warm in the morning. And you can go to like herbal tea. Now I'm really into cold therapy and I haven't had anything warm to drink in probably 10 years. I don't know. So 
I'm really into ice therapy, cold therapy. Everything is cold, cold, cold. It helps make your mitochondria more efficient. Thank you so much for that. It just, something you said just kind of sparked that in me because I, I see a lot of advertisements for like the, the mushroom coffees and the, you know, the, the keto friendly alcohol beverages, that kind of thing. And I just wondered what alcohol your thoughts were. Yeah. I mean, alcohol is alcohol. I mean, yeah. A pina colada, you're getting like, you know, 400 grams of sugar right there. Um, plus 400 calories. So I would go from that, not 400 grams, you know, sugar, but it's 400 calories and, you know, 80 grams of sugar, maybe going from that to like a dry farm wine. Sure. But to say that you're going to have the depression go away, have the body composition you want. Heck no, especially, I mean, the majority of my clients are postmenopausal women and that weight loss is very difficult or people with PCOS. If you want to have a glass of alcohol, it's not going to happen. Your weight loss, I'm sorry to tell you. I mean, so keep it to special occasions. Don't make it a daily habit. Don't make it a weekly habit. Habits are hard to change. So like, if you're like, oh, I'm going to have just a glass on the weekends. I don't know. Don't tell me to have that with sugar either. Like if you say, oh, Maria, you can have your Ben and Jerry's on Friday nights. I'd be off my diet for good, you know? So I would say if you need a glass of alcohol, keep it for special occasions, you know, New Year's Eve and maybe your birthday, but I wouldn't give it a, a weekly thing. No pass there. Yeah. I mean, and I think that brings up another really great point, you know, to, to, to kind of swing our line of questioning with you um, is, you know, what advice do you give to those clients that you have, you know, where they have food pushers, they have, oh, come on, one isn't going to kill you, you know, those kinds of pushing, what, what advice do you give them to, to work through that, to move past that, to stick to these new habits they're trying to build? Oh man. When you tell people you're cutting sugar out, watch out. Cause your mom's going to make you your favorite pie. <laughs> it happened to me, but I guess I'm a stubborn German girl. So when someone tells me I can't do something, watch out. Cause I'm going to do it. Oh, you can't give up sugar. Really? Is that, is that a dare? You know, I'll just take that to the nth degree, but I know not everybody's like that. So if you're a people pleaser, you know, it's hard because telling people that you're on this journey, you would think that people would support you and encourage you, but maybe you just want to tell the right people, like work with people like, you know, one of us, um, that will encourage you and keep you on it because yeah, at work, those people don't care about you most likely, and they want to sabotage you and they're going to have the candy jar right in front of you. So you might not want to bring attention to those people, uh, what your diet is. Otherwise, if you do, and they do push it on you, you could say, you know what? Um, I have an illness and I can't have that because PCOS is an illness. Diabetes is an illness. Type two diabetes is an illness. Type one is an illness. Like rheumatoid arthritis, if you have pain, that is an illness. If you have Hashimoto's, that is an illness. You don't have to tell them what it is. Just say, I have an illness. I can't have that. And I did actually do that because I did have a lot of food pushers. And so I lied. I said I had a gluten allergy. And this was back, you know, well over 20 years ago where people didn't know what gluten was. So they're like, well, crap, I can't make anything for Maria because she's allergic to it, you know? And so they didn't. And so, I mean, if you have to just say, yeah, I have some food allergies, uh, I can't have that, but I really appreciate that. 
And you know what? If they get that upset because you don't eat their food, that's about them. That's not about you. Get mm-hmm. over themselves, right? Yeah. That's so true. And even, I mean, thanks to individuals like you, now we can just say, oh, I'm, I've am i gone keto and it's trendy and it's okay to eat oh, that way. Yeah. But I think people will still try to get you to come off keto. I have a lot of clients, sadly, that have a spouse that's not supportive. Mm. They're afraid that they're going to change, which they are, but for the better, right? But they're triggered and they try to sabotage them. But, you know, surround yourself with good supportive people. Yeah, that's great. That's so, so helpful. And obviously we work with the food addiction and that's a disease as well. And so we tell individuals, you know, it's perfectly okay to say that, but you're right. It takes a bit of comfort in a safe environment before you can disclose that stuff, especially like, you know, the U.S. guidelines just came out and you would expect reduction on alcohol and sugar. They didn't touch it. Did that surprise you? No, um, there's a lot of money behind those industries. There's not a lot of money behind pure real food, you know, like my, I don't get any kickback for eating my venison that I hunt, you know, like it's fine. It's, it's funded by money. Um, I don't really listen to those guidelines. I mean, luckily I homeschool my children or my husband does anyway, so I don't have to worry about it much, but it's sad sad. We should be giving, you know, kickbacks to the, you know, the farmers raising, you know, grass-fed cattle, grass-finished cattle and stuff, but we don't. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So I've also heard you talking about the clients that you work with and sometimes they make mistakes on their keto. And, you know, sometimes I've heard people refer to it as like dirty keto and (laughs) which, which I don't like, obviously, but, you know, people who are just I've actually worked with clients who are like, well, I'm, you know, drinking a jug of cream and I'm like, oh dear, that's not where we want to go with this. And so if some individuals like that, uh, what would you speak to them about and how do you work with them? Well, there was a couple, when you said the jug of cream, that made my mind go a different way. I was thinking like people that do egg fast or fat fast or uh, they fast for days and I'm like, well, you're going to lose muscle despite what some people say, you will lose muscle. I can show you the studies. And then it's more important about what you refeed yourself. So I would rather have people feed themselves daily, you know, good amino acids because amino acids are what make your beautiful hair and your skin and your brain and your, your serotonin, you know, if you want to be a happy person, you know, let's, let's get the amino acids on. Um, and amino acids come from animal protein. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people that, oh, I fasted until 2 p.m. I um, And I'll say, did you have a bulletproof coffee? And they're like, oh, yeah, I had one of those. It's like, that was 500 calories of pure fat, no nutrients. I would much rather have you have seven eggs because guess what? You make a plate of seven scrambled eggs, you're going to get a lot of nutrients, but I doubt you can finish all that. You're going to be full. But drinking your calories is very easy. It's very easy. And yeah, you can fast until two o'clock because you've got a whole bunch of fat, you know, and that's not, that's not intermittent fasting at all, you know, and there's no nutrients in it. Very little, very little. The most nutrient dense foods are animal protein and that's what has the amino acids. And that's, what's gonna, I mean, it's so sad when women say I'm losing my hair help. I'm like, okay, let's, you know, you have to focus on protein, animal protein. That's what's gonna cause your hair to come back beautifully. 
Also, when you work with clients, I've heard you talk about emotional eating. And in those situations, how do you help clients address those issues and reasons that they do eat emotionally? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely an emotional eater. When things bad happened in my life, good happened in my life. I mean, we're a society that celebrates with food, whether it be good or bad, funerals, bunch of food, weddings, a bunch of food, you know, birthdays, a bunch of food. Like that's just what our society is. And to find that happy place, that balance where, yeah, we still have celebrations for my kids' birthdays with food, but it's not the center part. The center part is having fun because food it shouldn't be the focus of your life. Like I'd much rather be out on a paddleboard with whales um, or doing something fun. So I try to do really cool activities for my kids' birthday parties to fill that emotional gratitude and stuff instead of focusing it around like the cake and pizza or whatever they serve. But that's what you want to do in life in general. Like when something good happens, celebrate it in a way that doesn't happen to be with food. Most people, like I'm a minimalist, so I don't have expensive purses and shoes and stuff like that. But if you want to celebrate a win, instead of like, okay, you lost your 20 pounds, instead of celebrating with a cupcake, celebrate it with some shoes or celebrate it with, you know, whatever you want to go to the spa or, you know, something other than celebrating it with food. But same with something that bad happens. What I do now when something gets me down I um, always go outside and I go for a walk. It doesn't have to be a run. I am a runner, but it's usually a walk. I listen to music or listen to a podcast, something uplifting. Sometimes I walk with a friend, but I'm more of an introvert. So I prefer to walk alone, just being with nature. And I know some people are like, I live in an area where it's winter. You know, I grew up in Wisconsin. I live in Wisconsin. And I run when it's 20 below zero outside. I don't have a treadmill. I don't like a treadmill. When I get outside in nature, even when it's cold out, I mean, it's beautiful. Like the snow and all of that. And it just lifts my mood up. And I come back feeling better than if I would have eaten a pint of ice cream. You know, food, think about it. When you do go towards the French fry or whatever, do you ever feel better? No. So you have to start writing that down and remember Uh, not you guys, but you know, in general, all of you listening, write it down. If you can't remember, write it down. So the next time, you know, you're going to go do that. Be like, no, I'm going to go walk with Jennifer or something like that or whatever it is. Do something that's going to really actually boost your mood. Do something for somebody else. Like lately, there's a lot of, I see a lot of homeless people lately when I'm feeling down, I like to make some keto food and hand it out to them. And you know what? Nothing makes me better than having my kids do that with me and teaching them. Not everybody has what you have and you need to be grateful for what you have. So doing things for other people, I think would be a great, better mood booster than the ice cream would ever be. I think that's such a great point. You know, so often with our clients, they're so focused on um, what's going on for them that they forget that there's this whole world going on outside of them. And you know, I don't know about Clarissa. I'm sure she does though, right? It's this, it's this gentle reminder of like, go do some volunteer work, go to the local animal shelter, go to the warming center or the homeless um, shelter in your area, like go pick up trash, whatever it might be. Like just that 
get outside of yourself and, and go remember that there's a whole world out there. And actually that fills your cup, so to speak, in a way that that, like you said, that French fry never, never will, you know, and to kind of segue that then, you know, I've read some of your blog posts. Um, again, if I haven't made it very abundantly clear, I'm <laughs> Um, I've, I've written, or I've read some of the blog posts you've written and you mentioned having clients that you, you know, are an overeaters anonymous. They've told you, I'm sure. And that's how, you know, um, and they identify it, um, as having food addiction. How do you work with those clients? Is there anything different you do when you work with those specific clients than with somebody who doesn't identify the same way? Oh, I find it very interesting that we ignore food addiction in the United States but I have a lot of clients in Europe, um, England in particular, if someone like a boss sees an addictive food, a food addict at work, they are required to go to food and not like food overeaters anonymous. Yeah. They're very on it when it comes to food addictions where here Um, it kind of is the norm, you know, the candy dish and that type of stuff. But yeah, having them, have a sponsor, whether it be me or somebody else is really important. And what I like to do, I like them to grow so much that they become a sponsor to somebody else. Because think about Alcoholics Anonymous has a huge success rate because once you become sober, whether it be with alcohol or food, you become a sponsor to somebody else. And that helps you feel the need to stay sober or stay, you know, food addicted free. Um, So I find that's very important. But when these clients are just starting out with, you know, a food addiction, um, I mentioned this a little earlier, I do, you know, a complete health assessment where we find out different nutritional deficiencies that can be causing different addictions. Um, And different minerals do cause different cravings. Um, Sleep, lack of sleep is going to cause some, you know, issues with like food addictions and overeating and that type of stuff. So kind of looking at the whole picture, but I guess I do that with everyone, but I might just treat it a little bit more gingerly than someone who wants to lose 10 pounds, you know? Yeah. Well, we absolutely agree. Like when you have are working with individuals, they often feel like they're a bit alone in this battle and that they can't be honest with a lot of people that are in their lives. And so we always encourage joining a recovery community of some sort. And I'm wondering what you offer your clients in terms of like supports, resources, and for anyone who's lucky enough to get to work with you. Well, I have uh, keto coaches that um, I, I train. It's like a keto college. And a lot of them are recovering. And so then they would take on the, like I would do the initial um, help, but the day-to-day support, if I'm not available, they have somebody available. But yeah, anything like that, you know, eating disorder, like go to Overeaters Anonymous, go to that type of stuff. So you can not feel alone and feel the support. And, you know, not feeling alone is like that biggest piece that you're not the only one and there is chance for recovery for sure. Absolutely. I just think that's super important. And thank you so much for offering that to your clients. That's, I think that's super important. We always talk about in, in the, you know, from the framework of addiction, we always talk about the outlet, be it the food, the alcohol, whatever is only 10% of the problem, you know, 40% is like the recovery management, but 50% of it really is that supports. It's like finding our people. Like we, we kind of speak a similar language, 
we have these thoughts in our head. And when we say them out loud, instead of our spouse looking at us, like we've got three heads, they're like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Or when I eat that thing or do this behavior, I have sugar cravings too, or something along those lines. So I, I'm really happy to hear that there's a community now that's part of, and that's part of the coaching program or is that separate? Well, if someone has a food addiction, I would just incorporate that. It's not gotcha. like you have to click the button to say you're a food addict, you know, that <laughs> yeah, would just yeah. come up in conversation and that yeah. they need that type of support. But yeah, definitely for sure. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. So we wonder if, you know, the, the keto and the carnivore communities are just growing. In fact, we got to interview Sarah Kleiner, carnivore yogi a few weeks back. And that was really exciting too, because she, you know, I think she's a very integral part of that world as well. And so, and, and she really kind of opened our eyes to, you know, is it possible that people who adapt this kind of lifestyle, keto carnivore, or or those kind of food plans, is it because they want to eliminate some of that compulsive addictive eating? Um, Have you noticed that? And have you found any common denominators amongst those clients, you know, I guess is so to speak? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like I was mentioning earlier, you know, are you an abstainer or are you a moderator? Most of us are an abstainer. And so the hard thing with food is it's not like alcohol. You don't have to live to, you don't have to drink alcohol to live, but you do need to eat to live. And so keeping those foods out of your house is a huge piece of success. Nobody needs that crap. Not your kids, not your grandkids. Nobody needs that. That stuff's filled with trash. You know, you can have really good nourishing food. I mean, I have kids. They don't eat that. They don't know what a goldfish is. They don't know what Cheetos are. You know, I do have a Cheeto recipe and I do have a goldfish recipe. But, uh, you know, like they don't need those packaged food items to know that you love them. So keeping that out of the house is important. And I think that's why people gravitate towards keto and carnivore because the most nutrient dense foods are like you said earlier, this, you know, dirty keto or whatever. I had a client that lost over 300 pounds and she was on the cover of Women's World magazine. And it said, Twyla lost three over 300 pounds doing ultra keto. And it talked about my recipes and stuff. And I was like, ultra keto, it's just real food, you know? But uh, I thought that was really funny. But you know, being an abstainer, I think helps people like, are you going to really over? I mean, some people will overeat still on keto and carnivore, but it's less, it's so satiating. It's so filling. I love my parents, but my mom, whenever I make, like I made my flourless chocolate tort for Christmas a couple of years ago, because it's my husband's birthday on Christmas day. And she took a bite. She's like, Oh, this is so rich. I could only have a bite. I was like, do you know what I do? (laughs) Just because like, yeah, this food is very satiating and filling. I'm all about constructive criticism. I can handle it. But if you're just being critical to be mean, it's not cool. But I do tend to look, I used to look at my Amazon reviews of my books, especially early on. And someone wrote, I hate this diet. I'm always full. I was like, hello. That's the point. And I think that's what the carnivore yogi was getting at is it's satiating. Your brain is filled. You can go on and live your life and you don't have to be always eating every two hours, you know? So I think that's a big piece of why a lot of people venture into this and bulimics like, you know, 
tend to find a lot of success on it. Anorexics also like they enjoy this. They're, they feel good about nourishing themselves. When I get frustrated, I have quite a bit of clients that have eating disorders that go to um, like the Emily program, which I live very close to Minnesota. This is where Emily program is. And they force feed them. And at night they make them, they have this whole recovery thing where they sit in a circle and they all have to like eat a cookie. And for me, that brings like, they, they tell me it brings more anxiety into their life, but gluten and dairy can do that. It can cause mood issues and disorders. And so to force them to eat this food, you know, they're, they don't want them to have any forbidden foods. And I'm like, yeah, how about we just, you know, feed them nourishing foods that is not only fueling their brain, but their heart and their soul and not giving them anxiety. Like, I don't know. I don't really like that idea of not having forbidden foods. I have forbidden foods and I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more because I had my own experiences in the eating disorder world for pretty much 20 years where I just felt like a failure because I could not moderate my consumption of Doritos, wine gums, the things that they were encouraging us and had out at the table and said, you know, is it impossible? Is it possible for you to in intuitively eat these things? And I'm like, these are scientifically created for me to not be able to manage them. So there is a book called the Dorito effect and yeah. it's talking about how all of the foods that we ha now have in the world have been stripped of their nutrients. Like grandma's chicken noodle soup will never taste like grandma's chicken noodle soup because the celery doesn't have the nutrients from the soil that it once did that gave it all this flavor. And the chickens are now fed with corn and soy and not eating the bugs. So the chicken's lacking flavor. And so our brain is always looking for this delicious flavor, hence the Dorito invention of all like the chemicals in it. Nobody needs that crap. And we shouldn't be pushing that on somebody that has, you know, a, a fear, a fear of those foods. You know, we should just teach them to fuel their body properly. Yeah. I actually think we should all be afraid of the Dorito. <laughs> yeah. sure. um, so when you are working with individuals, have you had clients who struggled sticking to the food plan and how do you work sure. with them when that happens? Yeah. Especially during the holidays, it's really, really, it's, it's difficult. And I do, I, I, I talk to them about, you know, like let's, what, what triggers you? What is it that when you see it, like you need it? Because guess what? I probably have a recipe for you. You know, if it's cheesecake, if it, whatever it is you saw at the Christmas table, I have a recipe for you. And finding out what those triggers are, finding out if it's a person that triggers you, knowing what your triggers are is going to set you up for success. Because cheesecake was a trigger for me. Like if cheesecake was on the table, if there was not a keto option, I was going to grab the sugar one. So for me, I would always make a sugar-free, you know, a keto cheesecake. And even if dairy, which dairy was an issue for me, that's why I wrote six dairy-free books. Even though I knew that I wasn't going to feel the best on it, I would much rather have the keto cheesecake than have the sugar-filled cheesecake. So like little things like that. And just, I'm, I asked my child, my son the other day, I said, does it bother you how much mommy and daddy work? And he said, no, I know that you're, you're helping people and they need you more than me. I said, no, they don't. No, they don't. You're the most important, you know, but it's true. Like I work nonstop. If I'm on my paddleboard, 
if I get an email from a client, you better be damn sure I'm answering it. I always do. If I'm not sleeping, I'm there. But I really enjoy it though too. So how, what would be the best way for our listeners to find you? Well, um, I have tons of free recipes, like you were saying earlier, on mariamindbodyhealth.com. I started blogging a long time ago before it was cool. Otherwise, I would have picked a better URL, uh, but it's mariamindbodyhealth.com. I also have a support site. It's called keto-adapted.com. I'm on Instagram at Maria Emrick. I I have private Facebook groups. The 30-Day Ketogenic Cleanse is one of them, but yeah, there's a lot of different places you can find me. I'm trying to help a lot. (laughs) That's great. The other thing I just wanted to throw in there is because I heard you mention cold water therapy and I am somewhat obsessed with it myself. I always take a one-minute cold shower. I swam in Georgian Bay, which is like a big thing in November, and uh, so one of the questions I often get is how do you get to a place where you can do that? You start slowly. I mean, I'm from Wisconsin, so like cold is just like part of my nature. Um, But I would get a a little bowl of ice water and start dunking your face in it. You know, so just start with your face. If you can get your palms of your hands and your feet ice cold, that is really like really, really efficient when it comes to exercise and that type of stuff. Um, There's been a lot of studies where these athletes will wear ice gloves and keep their feet really cold and they're they can become much more efficient almost as if they did steroids but start small you know you don't have to go large start with your face dunking and then i ended up buying a big like bucket and i would fill that with ice water and go up to my knees in that and like you said even if it's for you know a minute do it for a minute and then just add another minute until you know you're up to 20 minutes it's pretty you know, I've never gone to a cryotherapy hospital. I'm a minimalist. I don't like, I don't like, yeah, that's just not my thing, but you can do plenty of cold therapy at home. That's free. Yeah. It's so true. And it really makes you feel alive. That's like my favorite thing about it is just being present in your body because you can feel everything. And I think a lot of the individuals we work with can sometimes be disconnected from their body. We live in this environment where we're always at like 70 degrees. You know, my dad, he's a plumber and a heater. So um, he has a plumbing business where he does heating and cooling. And I find it funny, like learning about, we live in these environments where we're never hot and we're never too cold. We're always at that 70 degrees and getting really hot and getting really cold is very important for immune system. I had the great opportunity to speak in Russia um, about the ketogenic diet, which is really eye-opening. They send the children in elementary school outside without hats, gloves, or anything because that boosts their immune system. It's not child abuse. It's keeping them healthy. Yeah, and it makes so much sense. I I think that we need to get outside more often, not just to get to our car. I don't have a car. Oh, you're nice. (laughs) You know, yes. (laughs) What's so interesting about the cold immersion therapy, though, too, is that. when I work with clients, I like to use DBT skills sometimes, right? And one of them is, you know, one of the tools is tip, temperature, intense exercise, pace, breathing. And the temperature one, we always talk about ice water, getting your face in the ice water, like getting really cold because it helps with that vagus nerve response, right? So when we are just overactivated because of the food or life stresses, I mean, we are so go, go, go these days, right? And then that's going to make us eat, right? That's, that's going to, 
for those of us that walk in this world, that's going to make us eat or make us drink or whatever that I love it. I'm going to look more into this too, like just a, a whole immersion therapy piece of it. That's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. All right, Maria, this is our signature question. I'm going to reword it a little bit for you though, because I think, I think you brought up a really important set of words, terms that I think you know, we should use more often too, is that abstainer moderator kind of feel to it. Um, you know, so if you could tell a younger version of yourself, something about abstaining or moderating the foods, the alcohol, whatever, and, and then, you know, the recovery piece, you know, what would it be? I had a different thought of what I was, how I was going to answer this, but you just said something that really triggered me that we live in this world. That's just go, 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 go. Stop saying Yes. Don't stop glorifying busyness. So be okay with saying no. Don't always say yes to people. If it's not going to fit into your lifestyle, if you're going to say yes to somebody, but guess what? You're not going to have time to cook dinner for your family or take care of yourself. Like if you would have wanted to do this podcast two hours ago, I would have said no. Like if you would have said, Maria, you have to do it at 8 a.m. Hawaii time or nothing. I'd be like, nope, not doing it. Because guess what? That's when I run outside. That's when I take my time outside in nature. And I'm okay with passing up on something like this or work. If it's, you know, I'll work with a client while I'm running on the beach. If you could record it while I'm running like this, I would do it. But stop the glorification of busy where you have to say yes to everybody and your neighbor if it's not going to fit in with, if it, if it makes you feel good, if you know, you're giving to others, if it's going to drain you, you got to say no to some things and it's okay. And I wish I would have done that. And I would have taken care of myself better because I think that's how it all kind of conglomerated that there was just too much going on in my life. And I didn't take care of myself. Yeah, I just love that because I heard somewhere like when you say yes to someone else, you say no to yourself. And we got to flip the script on that and start saying yes to ourselves and make ourselves a priority and our loved ones and looking after ourselves. Mm -hmm. yep, just like on the plane ride, they tell you to put your mask on first and then you can assist others. And it's really true. I'm a better mother when I take care of myself too. So true. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a delight to have you. And, uh, you know, I just want to let the audience know that you messaged me to say happy birthday. And I was like, you know, it would be the best birthday present if you would do a podcast with me. And you said, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just, I was floored. I'm like, oh, she's so approachable. I love her. This is so wonderful. And I just want to thank you so much for that. I'm grateful for you having me on. And I do. It's one of my things. Like, I love to say happy birthday to people because I think as adults, you know, our birthdays aren't a big deal anymore. Or, like, I turned 40 this year and I was like, rah, rah, you know, like it was COVID <laughs> birthday. Yeah. Like, everybody, you know, nobody remembered, which is fine. But I think those little, like, hey, happy birthday. I hope it's great. Like, I think that's kind of, it's just fun to try to surprise people that way. Yeah. It meant, it meant a lot. Awesome. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. 
Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.